Welcome to Security Endeavors, a podcast that seeks to shed some light on the field of computer security by talking to the people who do it. We'll explore some of the choices people made or how they carved out a path of their own as they got their start or have since gotten involved. The goal is to help those interested in better finding their way. You can find us at www.securityendeavors.com slash podcast. I'm Sadik Nerd, your host. Joining us today, we have Jack Recider, host of Darknet Diaries. Jack, thank you so much for being willing to join us today. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. As I like to get rolling, I, I really want to ask what it is that you do or that led you to consider starting into information security. Like, did you have a, a Commodore 64 growing up? What got you going? Apple IIe. No way. <laughs> Yeah, that was the first computer. And it's funny because my grandma had it, right? So it's like, how cutting edge was that in the early 90s for my grandma to go out and buy a very expensive computer <laughs> to try to get to work? She didn't know how to work it, right? Oh, but my it gosh. Was fun, fun for the family anyway. So was it like so, yeah. meant to be the family computer and you said, oh, hey, hey I, I see this thing with the blinking cursor? Or, or mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it had some games and stuff. So I'd go over there and play sometimes. And then she'd, uh, she'd set me up. So like, oh, I'll give you a quarter every time you practice your typing, you know, because you can <laughs> be a good type. You can learn how to be a good typist one day. That's and fantastic. So I'd practice uh, typing on there and stuff. I hated the typing, right? But um, yeah, fast forward to the internet, right? We got AOL at some point, And that just kind of opened my mind. I was like, wow, I can be on chat rooms all night long. And here there's uh, MUDs that I can play on and all these other weird online games and all oh, this information. Yeah. It was just endless. It was endless. And that really, really like turned on all these lights for me. And I just couldn't stop using the computer ever since then. See, that's amazing. So I, I was kind of, you know, Commodore 64. My brother was the programmer, but I discovered um, before AOL, what was it called? Uh, it had the People Pro Connect Prodigy? Quantum Link. Quantum Lake. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's the same idea, right? And it was just this crazy all night. You could be chatting with people and connecting all over the planet as far as I was concerned, right? What did I know? But so you did your thing and you were, you were learning about, you said AOL was kind of like the open internet. And you, did you connect with people and just kind of start reaching out or did you, what were you learning first? Was it, was it coding? I think it was just learning how to type in chat rooms like i really wanted to talk to these people and so i actually had to learn how to type then and i got pretty good at it but um yeah soon i started discovering the rest of the internet and uh, muds were a big thing that oh, i liked yeah. playing which is this online role-playing game and eventually i started like learning how to develop it so i was learning c just so that i could make oh. this video game and and develop for it and that was so much fun and that's how i kind of got started yeah that is how i got started learning learning c and you know, I think one of the questions you might ask me later is, were there any influential people to me? And there was somebody who, who kind of guided me. And I was like, oh, maybe I should learn C++. C++. And they're like, no, learn C. And here's the book you should buy. And I will help you all along the way. And let's get, uh, you know, set up, you set up with Linux. And, uh, and so I started like figuring out what, uh, what to get. And they actually got me into Unix at the time, FreeBSD. And so, you know, this person, there's just somebody I knew online. It wasn't even someone I knew in person. And they and were they willing were really to invest influential. In well, they were just another friend online, right? They were right. the same age as me, and I was really fascinated. And they're like, "Oh, you want to learn more? Here, try this. Try installing FreeBSDs, and here's here's the where you download it, and you could do it for free." That's so amazing. I was just, yeah, they were really helpful, extremely helpful. I don't, 
I, I don't know. Some people are just, they stand out above everyone else and just they're like super helpful. And that's was, I ran into this person and actually traveled across the country to meet them when I was like 19. And I was, it was really exciting, but that was, that wow. was just like a really influential thing. Well, yeah, but I mean, especially if you're learning, what was it? Uh, I I did participate in a couple of MUDs and it was LPC or something. And like the biggest, mm -hmm. the biggest honor in the game is to be able to construct things for the game. But someone took their time out to actually help you kind of say, here, move beyond this. This is a starting point, but you really want free BSD. So what were you running that on? I, that didn't run on the, the Apple IIe, did it? No, no, this was a, f a few years after that. So this was... Uh in the mid 90s now right okay. the late 90s oh, okay. and so i would just buy anything cheap at the thrift store any any x386 i mean that in that day i actually had a 386 processor right so when people nice. talk about x86 i'm like oh yeah i had actual that <laughs> processor like now uh, processors are based off of that architecture but like i was there when those were you know that was the processor right and and so you you built your your scrap top machine which actually at the time probably yeah. was stinking amazing right no it, it was it was really terrible it was just, <laughs> it, I, I i had so much fun back then seeing how you know little resources i could put into a machine and see if it would still run and how how effective it would be and then i would modify things and and change this or that and the hardware and see what is what it still function without this piece in it or that part because i really didn't know what i was doing right so i was adding and taking things in, in and out because i had like you said this scrap top it was something that i got at the thrift store and i just kept buying more stuff at the thrift store to play with and at the same time i was doing stuff in the software like what if i do rm uh, you know, yeah, rm-f slash, uh, you oh, know, no. the entire root directory just to see because just I can right. reinstall this. Yeah. And so I would do stuff like that just to see how bad could I mess this thing up. And, uh, you know, having that freedom, I think that was quite a privilege, actually, yeah. to have a freedom of, of having computers in my room as a teenager to just do whatever I wanted with and not be like stressed out like, oh, I wrecked the family's computer. Like, no, do whatever you want in this one. The family's computers, you know, in another room or something, but this one I could just do whatever. And sure enough, I had just a blast just as a tinker toy, right? Sure. Well, and that, so, so what was the, do you recall, well, number one, how many times do you think you reinstalled FreeBSD, just figuring it out to get it where you felt comfortable? <laughs> I've, you know, I think all my life I've never gotten Linux installed on the first try. All my <laughs> life. I've always had to do it at least twice. Yes. Because by the time it's done, I'm like, oh, I forgot these other settings. But yeah, I, I was so deep into it. I was recompiling kernels and I was doing, you know, administrative work. on It was just all this stuff. I, I probably installed it 50 times, 100 times. It was it was just constantly like, let's do it again and again and start over and, and see what we can do here and change things and modify stuff. And I really learned a lot. That, see, that's that's the thing right there. The fact that you knew you could just go back, redo it, and still get somewhere. So if you're listening to this, do not be discouraged. Don't feel bad if you had to redo Arch 52,000 times. Everybody goes through it. Mm -hmm. so, so, okay, so now you've, you've installed it enough where you're like, oh, I remembered the driver and I did the thing. Now, what was the first fun big thing you recall that like gave you that aha moment that little i don't know if it's an endorphin rush or whatever that made you say this is it this is what i want to do um i i just think it was just all building there wasn't quite that moment um 
there was this time where my dad really liked playing SimCity, mm-hmm. and I was able to mod. I was, I was able to make a save game file for that, and then modify using a hex editor, modify the money in the game to give him like a billion Sim dollars or whatever. Nice. And at that point, I felt really proud of myself. Like, here you go, Dad. You can play SimCity <laughs> like a billionaire now. And never have to worry about cash again. And I thought that was really exciting. So there was a, there was a, that, that was a win that I'll always remember, you know? Well, see, now that's cool. And, and so in, in exploring this and discovering you had this newfound ability or, well, I'm maybe a hard one. Did that come naturally to you or did you find you had to really kind of grind to figure out the hex editor and, and your growth process? No, I, I think that's kind of what, I think if there was a light bulb moment, that must've been it because I was doing this fairly easily, right? It wasn't that hard. I, it took me, it took me, you know, extra time to try and try and try and try again, and I would get it, and I would, that's okay. It wasn't like it was, it, it was first try, but it was something that I had patience with, and I was okay practicing and practicing. And when I would look over at my other friends or family, and they had just zero patience with this stuff, they got frustrated with it, they hated it. I realized that is something unique in me. I have a level of patience with this machine that my other friends and family don't have, maybe I should put focus in that. And just because I can tolerate this, right? Right. Like there's a lot of things I don't have patience with, like maybe cooking or something like that. I just cannot get my, you know, I can't get myself to do a lot of that. But this, I could just do it for hours and hours. And I thought, okay, if I can sit here for all night long on weeknights and all weekend long on weekday and weekends, then obviously there's something here that is, you know, is worth pursuing. Uh, You know, I can do it and, you know, I'll take this hobby into a career. And so did you, was that like, oh, hey, now that I'm, I'm 14, I'm, I'm whatever age, I don't know how old you were, but the thing is, did you find that that was like things opened up for you where you said, okay, this, this allowed you to open the doors? Yeah, I absolutely. I think, uh, so right out of high school, I went into community college, still a little bit unsure, but then as soon as I got through that, I realized, yeah, I need to go to university to do computer engineering. And so I spent uh, four years doing computer engineering. And then the, the school was sort of new for computer engineering, so they didn't really have a good structure for it. Right. But I did, um, I did some hardware. I did some assembly. I did all kinds of prog- programming languages. I learned about the operating system. It was pretty much just a standard CS degree. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I spent four years doing that. Man. So you really, okay, so you said this this is the door opening and I'm going to jump through it and I'm going to go do the thing. So did it ever go off the rails where you're like, this is, I feel confident in my abilities, right? But now I've gotten to a point where it feels like maybe I've I've hit a, a wall. Yep. So after university, I could not find a job at oh. all. And I think I was like, oh, I've got this big degree. I should be, you know, getting paid seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. Why would somebody want? Why would I take an internship? You know, like right. I, I was, I was really like thinking I needed something big, and no, and I just couldn't find anything. Like I'm, I was shooting for like IBM or Microsoft or something. And just nobody was interested, and so I just stopped. <laughs> I stopped doing computers. <laughs> stopped. And, Wait, so you took a job delivering pizzas. What what happened? Pretty much. Um, I, I moved to, uh, well, I, I got a job at a casino. Oh, wow. And started dealing, you know, doing, being a dealer. Uh, craps was my specialty, but I could really? also deal blackjack and roulette. And yeah, I just had fun doing that. And after, <laughs> after being a dealer, I got into drugs, 
and switched to pharmacy technician. <laughs> I thought I was going sideways on there, huh? Yeah, just a little. You, you had me going. You got me. So I was a dealer and then, yeah, working with drugs. So I was a pharmacy technician. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I spent years doing that as well because I was a good typist, right? And they needed me to type the label for the bottle. Oh, wow. So I'd look at the you know prescription coming in the fax machine and I'd type it up. So I was able to produce more labels than anyone else in the entire pharmacy, did, which did, was pretty funny. Did you ever have to go back and thank your grandma for forcing you to do all the <laughs> typing tests? I think she still like takes credit for it, but it was really <laughs> AOL that did it. So well, yeah, I mean, for so many years, I just could not find a job in IT. And I, and I was applying. I was like, look, I will do whatever. I will just write your wiki for you. I will do, you know, you testing. I will do analyst. I will make like just a little bit of graphics. And maybe I wasn't just focused, right? Like I right. was like, I'll do whatever. And they're like, well, we need somebody who's specialized in this. And I didn't know. So yeah, I just, I mean, that was many years, like six years. And so do you find no that tech. were you were you involved in any way like so obviously uh you're since we connected at Defcon I'm assuming you've been part of that community uh or conference community for a while is, is that like just like with with AOL right you connected to people and that's kind of what that's what kind of sparked an interest or continued interest right cuz that's from typing on up it was that connection with people I, at least I'm asking not telling right so is is that what helped find your path back or uh, I, I I mean I I liked tech still so I was like what am I doing messing around with with uh, dealing and drugs why don't I get back into tech Where, it's how a do dealing drug <laughs> sorry that's funny As go ahead go ahead dealer yeah so yeah and so I was like why well, I need to get back into tech I need to get this going and so I went back to um school to get a certification right so I thought okay if I get certified up then I'll have a specialty I'll have this thing in this direction and then I'll just like focus 100% on that direction and that specialty and so I got the Cisco CCNA certification Oh dang no easy feat Well I was so pumped and excited to do it in fact uh, I I went to a school to do it and they said I finished quicker than anyone else has ever done it, which was one month, which to me doesn't sound that ex that fast, but uh, they had like a two-month program and I finished it in half time. Well, dang. But yeah, I had, uh, I just did it really fast. I wanted to just get back on track. And, you know, immediately after getting the CCNA, I got a job in the knock. Ah, congratulations. You you broke the the, the string of frustration. You Yeah. And so it was really my first, uh, the first job I applied to as well. So they were, it was, it was like, okay. This, this worked. Nice. All right. And so now, now you've, you've made it to the knock and you're like, all right, I've arrived. I've done the right thing. I found the combination to get me through. So did that prove to be the case? Did it just like, mm -hmm. okay, suddenly bam, career on. Yeah. So, I mean, just to jump ahead for one second here, I spent 10 years in oh. that knock. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So, so yeah, I, um, I, I being in there, I was exposed to it was a it was a multi uh, service provider right so I was exposed to so many clients environments and different architectures and networks and all these different problems right so they had network issues they had server issues they had phone issues they had security issues just constantly there was even a bank that we ha we managed their ATMs right so I was even like troubleshooting depositors and and <laughs> you know registers and all these things as well like it was just a big variety of problems that was thrown at me every single day and all over the world too and that really 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 gave me the exposure 
to see what did I like the most? What was I most excited about? What was I most comfortable with? What did I get uh, into the most? What did I practice extra hard to learn? And at the same time, they threw me on the overnight shift, which was slow. And that was cool. a super big stroke of luck because whenever it got slow, I just studied for the next cert. Oh. And so the next cert was uh, CCNP network uh, or route switch, right? So the next up one for the, the Cisco routing. And so, so, you know, Noctec with a degree, CCNA and CCNP, they're like, you you know, you don't need to be in the NOC anymore. You're ready for engineer level stuff. Like you need to be troubleshooting well, some cool. higher level stuff, not this, you know, ticket monkey kind of thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got, uh, you know, promoted as to engineer at that point. Now the engineer position that was open was a security engineer position. And I really didn't know that much about security, but I just was excited to be an engineer, like to have that in my title. That's something I, I, I guess I always dreamed of is a computer engineer, right? So if I was security engineer, that was okay with me. I'll just learn the security part. So I, I had to learn Security kind of from day one, uh, starting there. And and so what what happened? So if you hang on, I, I want to back up for just half a second. Did you stay connected with the person who helped get you started in in C? No. Okay. So I, it was the I previous- lost connectivity and I thought about them a lot, right? And I, I, I looked up them some every, every now and then, but I never quite uh, you know, found them uh online. Okay. And and so now that you've you moved up to this engineering role then, and so what did you discover there when you started doing security? Was that more interesting to you? Was it just different? Yeah, it was It was different. So I had to learn, I had to, you know, we, we were big in Cisco, right? So I learned CCNA security and then CCNP security. So more, more networking, troubleshooting, but security focused, right? So what? I was managing the firewalls, intrusion detection systems, uh, SIMs and these kind of tools that uh, were network devices that were security related for our clients. And yeah, I got I got pretty good at it. There weren't a lot of devices that I needed to handle. So it was pretty easy for me to like get really good at, you know, firewalls, per, you know, specific because right. we had so many firewalls. I was just like, well, if I just learn firewalls, I can really apply this to all our clients. So I, I just really dug in and learned a ton about Cisco firewalls. And that became my thing. And one of the early things I decided, this was kind of a smart move, I think, was um, I wanted to be a value add to the team because I'm new to the engineering team, right? And And I looked at the team to try to find where their weak points were. And nobody really understood VPNs that well, how to troubleshoot a VPN. They just, there was just too many algorithms and encryption methods and and keys and all this stuff they just they they got frustrated so i figured out like hey if i become the go-to person for vpn troubleshooting i'll be a value to the team and now they'll be i mean it's not competitive it's like oh we've got this problem give it to give it to jack he'll he'll check it out and he'll figure it out and so that was my goal and that that worked really well i just took every single vpn problem and my team really liked that because that was our weak point and now it's no longer a weak point right now we're our team is strong on a lot of things so So, uh, that was a really good win at the beginning is this like early 2010 is this when would you say this was yeah, twelve. Uh, yeah, twenty ten. No, around two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay, because you've been on this path a while, right? And so now you're mm-hmm. like filling this gap. So, did the VPN work interest you, or was it? And what was it about VPN work? Is it just you said I identify this is the weak spot on the team, and that's what I'm going to learn because, like you said, value add. So, if that's the case, did that 
keep your interest or was that just kind of what helped pay the bills while you explored other things too? Well, it was, it w- I think it was something I would have had to learn regardless, right? And so I think I kind of jumped on it a little earlier than I should have. It should have kind of came to me, you know, maybe in year two or three of, of learning firewalls. But I like that challenge, right? Of like, let's, let's, you know, read books on this. Let's watch videos on this, training courses, everything there is to know about firewalls. Let's buy some firewalls and practice making VPNs and just do it over and over and over until I got it. I just really like that challenge. So it wasn't, what I didn't really like it or not like it, but I liked learning the the you know the challenge. I taking the challenge on. See, that's kind of awesome though. So basically, become uh, fall in love with being. Oh, it's okay. Too romantic language, but it's mm-hmm. remain a learner. Be aware of the fact that you've got to constantly be learning and be open to that the whole time. That's that's one of the big keys, is what it sounds like. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. You have to do that. And one of the things I took to, you know, the extra step is I had a home lab that I would come to every night and practice. And I even had it so that I could connect to it from work and keep practicing it. Well, they had a lab at work as well. And I would stay at after, after work to stay in the lab to do extra work as well. And yeah, um, that was absolutely crucial, especially in the early part of my career to just ramp up to where everyone else was. Sure. And then I kept it going for a long time. I still have a, a pretty pretty good-sized lab in my garage right now. Oh, wow. See, and, and so there's another key. If you're going to do this and you want to do this professionally, listeners, please consider setting up a home lab, whether you're starting with your scrap top or if you're getting gear from uh, uh, surplus auctions or some other place. So where did you find some of your gear from? Did you find that you could inherit it from institutions getting rid of stuff or uh, what kind of methods did you did you use? Uh, It was always Craigslist at the beginning, a couple of eBay auctions, but um, yeah, just buy the older, older, older models and learn them because, you know, some clients still have that stuff. So I might as well have it too. And it's kind of sad when I'm troubleshooting, uh, a, you know, a client's device and they're paying me a lot of money and they have a really, you know, fancy, they're like a, you know, fortune 1000 company or something, but they have like a $20 firewall in oh. your networks. <laughs> Cause I just bought it on eBay. I know how much it costs. You know? I'm like, <laughs> Come on, you guys need to upgrade this. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the thing that I want listeners to understand is, is if, if you don't have the cash to buy that, you can make like virtual labs as well. You can get just some free software together. Um, I mean, it all depends on what, what direction you're going, but you can also, you know, find some online labs that you could probably get involved with too. I haven't checked to see which ones are up and available now, but at that time I did find some free online labs that I could also join as well as uh, some other resources. Uh, you know, you can you can go to the library and use their computer if you don't have a computer. Like, there's always some way that you can access this stuff to figure out, like, you know, practice, basically. And, and did you find any good online sources other than, let's say, YouTube? Were there specific online resources you found that were pretty helpful with getting started? Well, I was, uh, I was using a particular um, training course, that I, I was using a CBT nuggets to train with. Okay. And uh, they were just phenomenal. And then I would also volunteer to do extra training whenever possible at work. So I'm like, hey, can you send me a training for this new Cisco device or this other thing or, or this conference or whatever? And I was always like, send me, send me, send me, send me. So I was just constantly like thirsty to, to learn as much as I could. And was, what about the leadership in on the team? Were they like, oh, sure. Well, you know, hey, we, were they, uh, were they supportive in sending out to go to, was this conferences? Was it a, a course in, in particular or? 
Yeah, I mean, mostly. I, I, I wasn't able to go to, you know, maybe the most prestigious courses, but I could go to like whatever was kind of around sure. and within range. So they were able to do that. Yeah. Um, so, so and it, then uh, like. Sorry, yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in and, and say, see, it doesn't have to be like the premiere of the top of the top to get good training. Just, you know, hey, if, if you can get training, go for it. And, and hopefully mm -hmm. it's it's a good start. Sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, and then the conferences, they were they were hesitant, I would say. And so I said, well, I'm not hesitant. I'm going to spend my money and go to the conference. And they mm. would see me doing this. And they would see me like going and learning and coming back and va adding value back to the team and teaching people what I learned. And so they eventually got on board with the conferences. They said, oh, okay, this does make sense to start sending people to conferences. And so not only did they did they pay for my way to the conference after I did it for like three years, um, they uh, they started paying for other people as well and making sure that, you know, like maybe five or 10 people a year go to conferences. So again, it would be fair to suggest that maybe demonstrating the value first might be necessary before they see the value and are like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send, we'll set aside some of the budget or we'll, we'll choose to support that. So initially it had to be on, on the, the person who wanted to go do the learning. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, sure. We're just going to send you because they want to see that it's going to do something for them. It isn't just uh, a relaxing mm -hmm. time, so to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so then what kept your interest? Because if you were, I'm, I'm guessing you stayed on that team, you showed them, hey, I'm, I'm valuable. I learned the VPN stuff. And you, how long were you on that team? Well, I mean, total I spent on at that company 10 years. Okay. And so I was in the NOC for about a year. And then I was an engineer for about two, three years, and then a senior engineer um, for another four years. And then um, the comp and the reason why I was still intrigued was because um, the 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 environment's always changing. There's always yeah. new technology coming out. There's always a new problem that I've never seen before. It's just fun to be an engineer. And I was building new tools to help every uh, uh, you know the other engineers and stuff. And so I didn't. I I I got to this point where anytime I was this is the difference I think between a junior and a senior. Because I think a lot of people who are junior are that are eager, they're like, hey, I know as much as a senior. Why aren't I a senior? Make me a senior, you know? And they're just like right. <laughs> jumping at it. And I think I think what I noticed over time is that uh, a junior sort of waits for them to get um, a, an assignment, right? They're like, oh, I'm done with whatever it is. I'm all done with my work. You, you give me something new, I'll do it. What is it? What do you want me to do, right? And they're, they're eager to get that next thing. But a senior kind of knows what needs to be done next and nobody really has to tell them. Right. They're like, okay, now this has been going on long enough. Let's get in here and refresh all this documentation or let's uh, change all the passwords, even though nobody wants, you know, asked us to. Let's, let's do something good for the company. And so the senior gets to see what the company needs and just goes and does it without anyone asking them to. And I think that's a big difference. And so over time, I started doing this. I never I never was idle because I always said, oh, I'm taking on this project. I'm starting this project. And then after I have something to show, I'll start showing my boss, like, this is what I've been working on. Oh, and then they'll cool. see the value in that. And they'll say, go for it. And I'm like, well, I've already been doing it. So, okay. And uh, I made some pretty good impacts in that company, um, creating tools. Like uh, I would program some software. Um, and show my boss like, okay, this is this is how my productive my productivity is increased because you push this one F key and all of a sudden it does these ten things that we have to do on a very you know manual basis, 
And they're like, put that on everyone's computer. Let's make that part of the training when you come on board. And so it became a thing, right? Everyone had this thing on their computer and everyone was using it. And, you know, you, when you leave an impact on that in a department and then move to a new department or something, uh, they'll always, you know, get, remind, be happy with you and, and feel like you're valuable to the company. And so I, I kept doing this stuff to, 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 you know, become more and more valuable to that company over time. And see, so by demonstrating again and again, that that's the thing to take away there for sure. If you're listening, make sure that you take those steps, you take those opportunities, make them make that good impression. And that's what's going to get you to the next step. It, that's what it sounds like. Because you, you left that good impression, you did good work, you did the legwork, the research, and that paid off. Yeah, I want to emphasize like, that fact. Like this isn't just happening because you happen to be a cool guy who does good things. It's you did the work. Yeah, there was a lot of work. Some of the projects took like a year to make. Um, one of the biggest ones was uh, our internal website, which houses you know all of the all of the client information, all of the passwords, all of the documentation, and you know we're we're you know all the stuff that might be considered tribal knowledge and that kind of stuff. It it was it didn't exist. It was sporadic. It was all over the place. Mm. And so me and another uh, senior engineer were able to make a website, an internal website from scratch, um, using P PHP because we didn't we didn't know anything better. We we're just like let's just do it with what we know. You poor so we people. Started it with PHP. <laughs> I heard such <laughs> terrible things. Yeah, but it was it worked for the time, right? I mean, Facebook sure. is made with PHP, so sometimes it's okay. Uh, right. So we made it, and uh, it was such it had such an impact. It created so many people with happier lives because now they didn't have to remember these weird, obscure folders that things were in. It was easy to find everything, and it was such a we we really put a lot of effort into the usability of it too, so that you just really improved your life, and that still going strong today. Oh, wow. Um, you know, probably eight years on, like it's a it's a great website that everyone's using. Oh. Like, you know, you know, over a hundred teammates are using it on a daily basis. So it's really probably the second most popular tool of the whole of the whole knock. That's okay, that's pretty amazing. So that's really good. And it sounds like you've you've cracked the nut of how can I get in and stay in and be valuable. So can, may I ask us to shift for a minute and ask what started your way to thinking about doing podcasting? I mean, there was a, there's a million things, right? I mean, you go you go way back to when I was younger. I liked listening to radio shows and how they just captivated me. And I just, you know, I we drive to where we needed to go, and I'm like, don't turn the radio off. This is so good. I want to hear how it ends, right? You know, so sure. so there's that. But then there's also this uh, at the time, you know, time that we're talking about here. I started getting into podcasts, listening to security comp uh, security podcasts, listening to all all the chatter about how things are going and and the news and stuff. And I thought. This is all good, but there's so many good stories in podcasts yeah. or in a security world where, you know, we have stories of Stuxnet and hackers and, and defenders and all these things, stuff that I was hearing at conferences like uh, at DEF CON and stuff like that's such an incredible story. And then you would you would also hear like news uh, of, of, a, of a hack that took place, but then that's it. You don't hear any news like for years after, but there was all this stuff that happened after, you know, like, well, they caught the hacker and they sentenced the hacker. And then the, there was a whole report that came out of the malware that was used and all this stuff. And it's like, well, who's, who's giving me like a roundup of all of it at the end, right? You know, right. four years on, now we know everything that happened in this hack. Let's go from the beginning all the way to the end and have a good story there. So I, I was just like, there's not a podcast here that, that's doing that. Nope. And I was really into like this American life and radio lab. 
And I thought, man, it would be really great if somebody were to make this podcast. And so I reached around uh, or I reached out to a couple of podcasters saying, hey, what do you think of this idea? Nobody really got it. They, they weren't on board with it. And so I was like, okay, well, it's not going to happen. And, and I kicked around the idea for probably a year before I finally said, I wonder if I can do it. And so I got a book and started learning how to podcast. That's got to be a really interesting tale of your own of coming to the point where you're like, okay, I've got the book. Now I've got to, cause as, as someone who does some podcasting himself, I know that there are steps along the path, right? You've got to get the RSS feed set up. You've got to find hosting, you, all these other details, but those are fairly trivial because in the end, what you have to tell is a good story. And that's one of the yep. cool things that I really enjoy about listening to your show is that you've done a lot of research. You've had to dig in and get these folks on the phone from whatever continent they've gone to or wherever they're at. And you have this time that you spend with them to hear their story. And I'm curious, is there a lot of cut down necessary to fit it in to get it where you feel like you're still telling the story, but it's not too long? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where the more the more you prepare, the better off you, you are. So if I know the story because I've read a hundred hours worth of this story, right? Then I can ask the very specific questions and I don't need to cut things down very well. But if I'm interviewing someone and I don't really know what their story is because they're like, hey, psst, I got a story for you. Yeah. You're, let's let's do it. Then I'm, I'm shooting in the dark for quite a while before I know what angle to use. But yeah, I mean, exactly like you were saying, the story element is is the hard part. The, the all the technical stuff, I, I could figure that out in a few hours or a weekend, right? Like right. The, I'm a technical person. I can do all that. But the book that I first got was called Out on the Wire, which is really not about podcasting, but about storytelling and how people like uh, the NPR teams uh, do storytelling. So, how do, well, you know, is there a formula for how to do a story? What are what would make a good story versus a bad story? And how do you interview and this kind of stuff? And it was really about, yeah, it was really story focused. And that's how I, that's what I needed. To, I, that's the hump I needed to get over is could I write a good story? Could I research a good story? And maybe to back up a bit too, while I was working at this uh, company as an engineer, uh, one of the things I was doing along the way was blogging about some of the stuff where you have a problem, you Google it, you can't find the solution. Yep. Or the solution is really really weird in a really weirded format. So I would blog like, okay, if you have this problem, here's how you can solve it. And I would just blog over and over and over. I probably have like 100 posts uh, of just like, here are, here's a security problem that I hit. And this is the solution that I had. And I tried to make these very complex topics as simple as possible. Like right. I, I didn't want to, I, some of these problems I've seen where they're like, oh, here's a lab issue, lab problem. They have this giant network. And then they're like, oh, the, the question is only on these two devices over here in the corner. <laughs> like, why did you give me this big network when you're only asking me about these two devices here? Like this, oh, make it simple. So uh, you know, I was doing a lot of this kind of technical writing on the blog and yeah. just ton of that. So I kind of took what I had there as well of like practicing writing and writing and writing and writing and, and researching things and, and, you know, kind of getting all the information into one spot in a nice presentable way. And then using that also in the podcast of like, OK, I've got all this information in one spot. Now let's talk about it in, a, in a, as effective way as possible as well. And did you discover along the way, like, did, I'm guessing that took time to develop, right? You you had a hundred blog posts to figure out how to tell that story, right? Because that that becomes the same thing. The reader has to be able to pull out not just the technical steps, 
but why it is necessary and why the order of operations happens in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, that. Yeah, it just took a while to learn, you know. And I look back at my early blog posts, and they're terrible because I didn't know how to, you know, word things effectively and and get my point across. And sometimes I'd go back and say, okay, we need to fix this because it's just really bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's just one of the things that. I, and I had this kind of attitude of like, I liked teaching people things, and so yeah. I had this kind of goal of like, how can I teach more people more things? And by blogging helped, and of course by podcasting, I thought might help too. So what was the book you, you mentioned before? It was On the it's Wire? Out on the Wire. And um, it's a really fascinating book because it's written by a comic book artist. So every page of the book is actually like a comic book. Oh, wow. And they inter- and yeah, she has um, she interviews these people in all the kinds of different like um, Radiolab and This American Life and all these people who make these kind of shows. And she asks them, how do you do it? So it was really helpful to know exactly that because my first my first Google search on for if I wanted to learn how to podcast was how does Radiolab make their show like that was my first Google search you know nice well because and that was a big influence so have you ever reached out to the Radiolab folks to tell them hey you guys influenced and you were a positive influence in my life or <laughs> I haven't done those guys yet but I've been slowly making my rounds I actually met Ira Glass oh wow. Um, Earlier this year, actually, yeah, and so uh, I told him how much of an influence he's been on me, and he was he was really uh, kind of taken by that. So, yeah, See, sometimes I've, I've met a few people. That that's really cool. And and were there other books along the way that you've discovered that kind of assisted? I mean, not just the blog posts in the blogosphere, but maybe a couple well, yeah, other books. There was, there was some online stuff. So Pixar and has created a Khan Academy course on how to tell stories. And oh, of wow. course, Pixar is like the master of storytelling, right? Like every, every single Pixar movie is like amazing because yes. they're just masters of storytelling. So I was like, okay, I'm going to consume this twice. And so I go through that. And then um, there was a, the person who, who runs Gimlet Media, which is a big podcasting company called Alex Bloomberg. Uh, he created a course on Creative Live on how to do podcasting through storytelling. So I consumed that. And there's a few podcast conferences that are recorded and I listen to all their talks. And so I just, you know, consumed like as much as I could about podcasting in this kind of way. And that taught me a lot. So was that part of that year leading up to deciding to do it? Or was that after you said, no, I'm pulling the trigger, I'm going to do it. And then all this research took place. It was both leading up to it and then doing it and then like, okay, this still sucks. How do I make it better? And still researching more and more and more. How many of the first version of the podcast did you just melt down, burn and trash and say, no, I don't like that. I got to do that differently and I got to learn from it. Yeah, the first one I made, I still haven't published because it it became such a big. It was the it was the story about Alberto Gonzalez. He got arrested, and then the, the Secret Service said, "Hey, you want to help us out?" And so he kind of turned into a double agent and helped out the Secret Service. And the story is just phenomenal, right? So he right. and then he ends up, you know, screwing them over and doing some more hacking anyway while he's <laughs> doing it. So it's just a crazy story. And so I was like, "Oh, this is so good. This is such a great story. This is perfect for episode one." But as I was writing it, it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I I kept going going back and revising it and over and I was like who can I even interview for this everyone's you know in jail and stuff so uh I just couldn't I couldn't it just became too big for you know first try so I had to I had to throw that out after probably working on that for three weeks so it wasn't like number of episodes I, I got through before throwing it out it was just that one but I spent so much time on it and it was such a hard decision it's so hard to spend you know 100 hours on something and then say no Let's not do that. 
And then to keep going, to start over and then keep going, right? Like most people would be like, all right, let's just not podcast. This is just entirely too hard. Right. But I, but I threw that out and said, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm much smarter now at how to approach this. Right. And so I started over um, with the, I, I, with the first episode of being about phone freak, uh, uh, PBS hacking. So kind of scamming through 1-900 numbers and stuff. And uh, I reached out to a ton of people who I who could possibly speak about this, and got only like one person to reply. And oh. I was so excited about you know my first interview and stuff, and yeah. it was just so much fun on that first one. And so now that you've kind of found your stride, are you finding that people are approaching you, or is there still kind of the scheduling challenge of deciding which way to go? Yeah, I get I get a ton of pitches now. Um, most of them are from PR agencies saying, oh, we have the CEO of this InfoSec company. He really wants to be on your show. Um, and I'm like, well, what is he going to talk about? Oh, well, he's going to talk right. about how he's an expert in this and that. I'm like, I don't want experts on my show. I want story. I want stories. If he's going to yeah. talk about the breach that happened in his organization, I will hear about his breach. But uh, <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand like, right. what my show is. So I get a lot of that. But I do get a handful of people who bring me stories that don't quite hit the hit the mark. They just don't have enough twists or not, don't have a media enough or, the, or the, I can't fact check it. You know, so I do get a lot of stuff coming my way. And uh, but yeah, just recently in the last couple of months, some really big stories have landed in my lap that I didn't even look for. They That's just came to me. And I'm like, whoa, this is this is now becoming a little bit easier that stories are coming to me. That's pretty amazing. And and what has it done to your brain or how have you even begun to get your head around when people come up and say, I'm a fan of your show? <laughs> Yeah, the, I mean, the first time was the time I'll always remember, which was I had four episodes out, and I was at a conference, and somebody said, oh, you're Jack Reciter? Yeah, I, I've listened to every four, all four of your episodes. I'm like, what? How is that possible? <laughs> like, it was only, I think it was only out for like a week at that point. Oh, wow. And I was, I was broadcasting it from my blog, right? So I had some visitors to my blog, and, you know, I had my Twitter that I was tweeting it out on. So she found it from one of those places, and just, she's like, yeah, I listen to every episode all in one day. And I was like, wow, that's so amazing. Like I've, I've entertained someone, I've taught someone right. in this new medium that I've never experienced. And, and not only did they like it, but they liked every second of what I've made. Uh, that's just, it's so phenomenal to me. Cause I was expecting people to turn off like halfway in the you know, first episode and saying, okay, maybe, maybe later I'll listen to the rest or something. But no, she was glued. And oh my gosh, it's such, it's such an amazing feeling. I hope everyone tries to make something creative and then has someone appreciate them for that. Because there is so much creativity that goes into podcasting for me. And I have to make all these all these decisions, a million decisions on should it, should it be this, should it be that, should it be that. And it's a very creative process. And for people to appreciate something that I've done creatively, it just puts me on a high that's unlike anything. It's so pure and clean. It, it can take me all the way to the moon if I want it to. It's just so good of a feeling when people appreciate things that I've made. And that right there, people, is what you're looking for. That's that's it. When you can find something that you feel you've given back or you've connected to another person or you've reached them, is there is there anything better? Really? Yeah, I, mean, that, I really I do think that that has a bigger value. It's a bigger value to me than like the ads in the show or getting getting donations and stuff. When people come and tell me how it's it's decided they've decided to change their career to go into infosec or they've yes. uh, you know got back into it after uh, you know getting burnt out or something or 
they got more into it for some other reason or something like, oh, I've made impacts for people. And I've, I, oh, sometimes like they'll, they'll listen to an episode and then make their boss listen to that episode. And then their boss is like, okay, we're changing policy for like a million things now because nice. we don't want to do what was in that episode. And they're like, wow, that's I, like, I had trouble convincing my boss at work to make some policy changes. And it's really cool to feel that I've made policy changes on other companies now because of some of the work I've done. That's amazing. Just just to know that there's actually, it, by being able to put it together in a way that tells that story well, it enables other people to get the risk, to understand it better. It gives context, and that can make real change happen. That's awesome. And, and yeah. what, again, out of that now, does that now, does the show start teaching you things when you talk to these folks? Oh yeah, so much things. Like as I mean, I've been doing this. I quit my job about a year ago now to focus on podcasting full time. Wow. And yeah, it was kind of a risk. I I've been there for 10 years, right? And I kind of was burnt out and I was like, I'll just take a 3-month break. I'll do some podcasting in that time and then I'll go back to work if I can't get the podcast to, you know, be bigger or something, you know. And so I did take that break and the podcast started making some money in that time. And I saw like potential, I hit like a target that I was looking for. So I said, oh, cool. oh this could be something I do. And and sure enough, over time, it's, it's created a, a full-time income for me. So uh, the thing is, is that with not having hands on keyboard for the last year, I haven't seen the latest, you know, software updates and patches right. and I forget some of those command line things and all this. So I'm losing, you know, from atrophy, I'm losing some of my skills, but at the same time, I'm learning about things in security that I never knew existed um, before. So, um, you know, it, it's introducing me to a whole new aspect of, of stuff that I, I wouldn't have got into before. Well, I really want to say thank you so very much for spending time talking to us today and, and sharing uh, your journey, really, and, and explaining some of the, the hows and whys behind how the Darknet Diaries got started and how you actually got started. Because hopefully this is a message to someone else and say, okay, this is how someone else succeeded, because it sounds like you're, you're on the path you want to be on. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, you know, an important thing in today's world is... We, we used to have this, um, uh, you know, diligent workforce that we needed, right? Just people who could just do a lot of work, and that was great. That's what we needed, you know, during the, the Industrial Revolution. But now we're in such a connected world and in the future here that we need people who can go beyond that. And they they make decisions that are above and beyond their, their kind of position. And they, they, they make their name bigger than just their immediate boss and clients and coworkers, right? Like they become appreciated by other things. And so if you can do something like help out on a open source project or create a tool or create a blog or create a YouTube channel or create something to kind of get beyond your immediate bubble uh, and have more people recognize you, that can have such a profound impact on your career because the more people who know you and know who what you're capable of and good at and anytime you want to switch jobs you have this you have this circle of people that are like already know who you are and they're like hey i i know this guy he makes great stuff um we definitely would would love to have him on the team and it's a lot easier and it's a lot less scary to quit right because oh, yeah. i had i had a podcast 
going that was fairly popular and I quit my job and I knew I could say something on the podcast like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Right. And people would, would reach out to me because they hear my voice, they hear what, I'm, what, I, what I know, they hear you know, how I research, they, they, they understand me. And it would, it would be an easy for them to say, oh, this guy would fit in our culture and stuff. So I really think it's important to going into the future here of becoming bigger than just your position and having more people know who you are and maybe compete in a competition like a CTF is a great thing. Uh, you know, if you could get your name on the board there of, of one of the winning teams, like that's fantastic for the resume and just get out of work sometimes and, and do something extra at night or on the weekends or on the side. And I think that can have a very positive impact on your future. Had outstanding advice and actually something that you've demonstrated actually in your own career. So this isn't just because he, he was thinking about it or because he looked at it. It's the fact that he's actually doing the actual work. And if you can convince yourself that it's worth it, it's you got to chase it. You've got to, whether it's making blinky badges or you decide to go after an exploit, uh, listen to other shows where you can be encouraged because that's what you should be is encouraged. And Jack, how can people catch up with you or stay in, in tune to what you're doing? I'm all over the place. You can find me pretty easily, but I'm most chatty on Twitter, and that's uh, Jack Recider is, on, is my name on Twitter. So check me out there, but you can go to darknetdiaries.com and listen to the show. Well, thank you very, very much, and we appreciate your time today. And everyone, thank you so much for listening to Security Endeavors. We will see you next time. <laughs>